Hi, welcome to the Integrative Health Podcast with Dr. Jen Flegar. This podcast is meant to educate and empower about important health topics. Dr. Jen's passion is to get to the root cause of disease and prevent illness. She will also feature guests who are experts in their fields and experiences in all things related to integrative medicine. Hello, this is Dr. Jen. Welcome back to the Integrative Health Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and give a five-star review and share with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hello, welcome everyone back to the Integrative Health Podcast with Dr. Jen. Today we are going to talk to Dr. Morgan Camp. He is an expert in functional medicine and he really loves bioidentical hormones, longevity and regenerative medicine, chronic infections, immune therapy, detoxification, GI health and stress-related illnesses. So all the things, and he's been working in functional medicine for about 20 years. So he's an expert. He now practices in Sedona and he loves hiking, swimming, meditating, working out, cooking, skiing, and yoga, and is passionate about the evolution of consciousness and the interrelatedness of our health, our beliefs, and our state of mind. His education, he did family practice residency training at UCSF, and he actually he lived in the Bay Area for quite a while and practiced there. He went and he got his MD degree. Before that, I went backwards, sorry, at Emory University School of Medicine. And then he did his undergrad in Vanderbilt University, where he graduated magna cum laude in chemistry. So, so very cool. And he can talk a little bit more with us about what he's been doing since then and how he's been changing lives. So Dr. Morgan, welcome so much to the podcast. So excited to nerd out with you because this interview will be intense, but you'll walk away with so much information. Thank you, Jen. Pleasure to be here. I'm super excited to to have this talk and to get yeah, to share w- what I've been doing and the successes I've been having. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's always fun to have a great conversation with uh, with a like minded, intelligent woman like yourself. Oh, thank you. That is so that's so sweet of you. Yeah, we're in a few Facebook groups together, and that's kind of how we met. And we all love learning from each other because that's what doctors used to do. They used to have grand rounds and bounce ideas off of each other. And really, the pandemic kind of shut that down, unfortunately. But um, so let's let's get right into, um, you know, why? How did you kind of go from family medicine to this medicine that you do now, which we're going to go into? Yeah, great question, Jen. I I was never satisfied with family practice. And outside of residency, I never practiced traditional family practice. I went straight, luckily, I just went straight into a integrative functional clinic, a functional medicine clinic right in the Bay Area, right out of residency. And I'd already started uh, attending functional medicine courses in residency. And that was at a time when they didn't have many young people there. So me and a few fellow residents were open with, uh, welcome with open arms into, uh, you know, a lot of organizations before they had even any training modules or anything. So I don't have certification or anything. I luckily just got to learn directly from a lot of the, the old timers who, you know, loved like having somebody around that was interested in in learning from them. So I, w- I was very lucky in that regard. And, um, you know, as I've, as I've said on the other podcasts, a lot of my um, 
drive into functional medicine was around actually treating my mother. My mother had a lot of uh, illnesses from fibromyalgia, chronic migraines, mold sensitivity, toxic breast implant sensitivity, all these different things. So, you know, I always saw, saw that doctors weren't really helping her. And then I just kind of was just looking on the periphery, like what was happening. And I, she navigated it quite well. It's been quite inspiring for me. And then during my, uh, just before I started residency, I was in Nepal on a, I took a little pre-residency sabbatical after med school. And, and I, I, that's when my illnesses started. I started, I, I got massive GI illnesses and then I got chronic fatigue followed by Lyme disease and mold illnesses and all these different things over many years. And so a, a lot of my path has just been discovering healers that could help me and learning what they were doing to help me, then seeing, oh, also I've got patients right in front, in front of me with the same illnesses that I didn't even recognize before. And hey, let me, now I know how to help them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you bring up such a good point. Like you said, the patients were in front of you and you didn't know. And that's missed a lot in conventional medicine. Yes, we're we're trained to, you know, with find out all these chronic diseases and the medications to go with them, but really the true healing and things like environmental toxins and heavy metals, we're not taught that in medical school. And they they really drive a lot of illness. And like you said, the GI stuff. Um, just today I had someone, they didn't get their GI. Um, test that I ordered the stool test because their doctor said, "Oh, you'll go to the GI doctor and they'll order the same the same thing, the same kind of thing." And I'm like, "It's not the same. It's not not going to be what you want." So let's dive into what you love to geek out about. So first of all, for our listeners, you might have to explain what mTOR is, okay. and um, and then we could dive into how to block mTOR and the production of senescent cells. So first, you know, with the rapamycin. So first explain mTOR and explain senescent cells. And then, mm -hmm. then you'll be able to say why and what is rapamycin, I think. Yeah, perfect, uh, Jen. Yeah, so mTOR, I think it's mechanistic target of rapamycin or mamate. I don't think, I think it's mechanistic target of rap rapamycin. So uh, rapamycin was discovered on Rapa Nui, I think, in some somewhere in the 1960s, I believe, in the soil on Easter Island. Um, and yeah, so rapamycin's gained notoriety because in in most animal studies in which it's been tested, it's been shown to increase longevity from from worm studies to rodent studies. I think now there's a big uh, dog study ongoing, and of course, there's now studies on humans as well. Um, mTOR is found pretty much in almost all organisms, I think above like bacteria or single-celled organisms. Um, and so it seems to be a central, a central component for metabolism. So when mTOR is overactivated, um, cells grow and enlarge and create hypertrophy. And when, when mTOR is turned down, then cells tend to grow less. So the way I look at it is, um, you know, mTOR is, is it's a central aging pathway, basically. And what happens as we get older is it, the, the mTOR gets chronically stuck in the on position. As it's chronically stuck in the on position and overactive, um, we uh, tend to accumulate more diseases 
such as obesity, inflammation, dementia, et cetera. So a lot of this seems to be related to the overstimulation of mTOR. And what happens when mTOR is overstimulated is normal healthy cells undergo a process called geroconversion in which they become senescent cells. So senescent cells are the zombie cells. A good description I've, I've heard is the, the easiest to understand is they're like zombie cells that are the underlying cells underlying the chronic inflammation. A lot of people have probably heard of cytokine storms from COVID. So a lot of these senescent cells are producing these cytokines that we hear about. And those cytokines, are, again, are the chemicals driving inflammation, which are behind pain, memory loss, obesity, uh, all kinds of things. So um, yeah, how, how, did that answer your question, Jen? I don't want to dive too deeply. Yeah. Into yes, that's great. So and mTOR, it's not all bad. I mean, if you're working out, you are stimulating that mTOR if you're building muscles. But like Morgan was saying, if you get stuck there and you're chronically in that, in that mTOR stimulation, so things that help decrease mTOR are like fasting, you know, so that's like a easy example of that. So, but specifically, it's just so interesting because this whole process of building up and breaking down and then what's left, you know, that inflammation that it causes is, you know, it was found that rapamycin, you know, it, it was a target for this. So people started taking it for longevity and people do take it for longevity. So I guess how, how does how does it work for longevity? And, you know, do you, is it something that you can just take for a little bit and it helps, or do you have to stay on it the rest of your life? Good question, Jen. Um, yeah, good question. The um, two, so uh, first off, rapamycin is FDA approved for organ transplant. So it's approved for immune suppression, which is confusing. Um, and but that is when you use it in a daily dose. When you use it in a daily dose, it suppresses what's called mTOR1 and mTOR2. Um, we don't need to dive in that too much, but when you take it on a weekly basis, it only suppresses mTOR1, especially at a low dose. I typically use it a little lower dose than Dr. Alan Green is one of the pioneers in this. He uses six milligrams for pretty much all of his patients, as far as I know. And I commonly use smaller doses, especially in smaller, older patients and in women. I use typically, again, you know, anywhere between two and four milligrams. Um, when it's used weekly, again, it's not suppressing the mTOR2, mTOR2, and so as a consequence, you don't get immune suppression with, with just mTOR1 suppression. You get actually um, possibly an immune modulation and an improvement in immune systems, and it's being used and studied a lot for treating COVID and long COVID right now, um, and I've used it that way myself as well. Um, as far as your second question goes about using it short-term or long-term, um, we, we don't have any data on that, of course, but in my practice, that's often what I do. I have a lot of patients, and I'll use it for perhaps three months, a year or so, and then give them time off, and we use it again a few, uh, you know, later, uh, a year later or so. And again, that's just, that's how I create my practice, and I just follow my intuition and, and the science as best as possible. When there's no science, I just, you know, follow my intuition on this. Um, I haven't seen a lot of side effects. The most common side effects of rapamycin are dose related. The most common one is mouth ulcers. 
Um, and so as you increase the dose, I think in Dr. Green's practice, he just released a study showing that about 14% of his patients have had mouth ulcers. As far as I know, at the lower dose, uh, I've, I haven't had, I've had one patient who had uh, mouth ulcers, and that was an elderly woman who was taking a six milligram dose. Um, and yeah, I think that answers your question. Yeah, it's so fascinating. So, so most people that you see in your practice, they, they just want to stay on this. They just take it weekly. They kind of just stay on it. And do you follow lab markers or are, do they feel better? How do you know it's working? Yeah, good question. Yeah, a lot of the work I do uh, doesn't necessarily have good lab parameters. Um, the lab parameter we would want to look at would be related to, in my opinion, would want to be looking at uh, senescent cell markers, and those are not clinically available now as far as I know. I have I have a lead on a lab in, in Georgia that supposedly does it, but I haven't been able to uh, make that happen yet. So the way I think of it is rapamycin is, is, is sort of like starving senescent cells. So it's turning the food off to them so they don't get fed. Um, there's also senolytic treatments where you can directly kill the targeted senescent cells, just like you're taking an antimicrobial. Um, the, the lab markers to follow, you know, I follow in everybody, hemoglobin A1C, CRPs, um, these sort of markers. So I follow those in every everyone as well as lipid markers. There is a concern that that perhaps rapamycin raises the lipids in in, in, in a sub, certain subset of patients. So I follow that and monitor that. I think I've seen that in one or two patients as well, um, where the lipids are higher. But other than that, nope. My practice is mostly I have two. You know, I, I, I when I'm treating patients, of course, I have patients who come in for acute problems and chronic problems. But even when I'm treating those, I'm also thinking, how can I make them better in the long term? What can I do to help with their longevity? And even if we're creating an acute, treating a, a, an acute or semi-acute illness, like what role are those senescent cells playing? You know, how can I treat them with peptides? How can I help them in the long term while we're trying to overcome that short-term problem as well? Yeah. And talking about peptides, a lot of the times you have to, to before you use specific peptides, you have to clear out those senescent cells. I mean, we got to take out the trash. You can't just have these zombie cells, you know, laying around. And it's it's when they get stuck and they just can't, the, the cells can't clean up their own garbage. That's what these senescent cells are. And and that's when they cause that inflammation and everything. And I love that you brought up markers like CRP and lipid panels, because those are signs of inflammation. And easily people listening could ask their doctors for a lipid panel or a CRP, which is a C-reactive protein. And if those are high, your body's on fire and inflamed, then you probably need to clear out some senescent cells. So you um, mentioned some senolytics and there are some different supplements that can do that. I take um, I take a senescence, a senolytic, usually two times a month. I do it mid follicular phase because that's when I know it's not going to stress my body out too much. Because that's the thing you don't want to take a senolytic or um, certain peptides that are going to clear those. You don't want to take them all the time every day. You need to give your body a break. So could you go over some of the different? Um, Synalytics and how to clear these zombie cells out. Yeah, happy to, Jen. Yeah, first off, your yeah the the treatment you're referring to, the scientists call it hit and run treatment of senescent cells. Meaning, you just target the treatment. You know, the least frequent I use is perhaps two days a month. 
Um, and, that, and that's typically with like desatinib or desatinib with quercetin. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that drug wrong. That is, desatinib is an FDA approved medication that has been studied quite a lot uh, by Dr. Kirkland um, and, and his senescent model. So uh, the, the, the primary treatments I use are desatinib with or without quercetin. There's also an experimental peptide created at the Buck Institute called FOXO4DRI. Um, that works in the P53 pathway, which, if my memory serves, it would be very, uh, very fruitful for preventing cancer. Um, I'd love to see research on that. I think that I, I've, I have a lot of experience with Foxofar DRI, and I've seen a lot of people benefit from it. I've have a I have a, a friend who had some memory issues from long COVID. One dose of the Foxofar DRI, and her memory her memory is back to normal. Um, Wait, one dose. One dose. Yep, yep, yep. It's, it's oh, now I'm intrigued. I've dabbled in that peptide a little bit into the research, but haven't used it yet on anyone. Um, have you personally used it? Yeah, I've used about six to eight rounds of it. So I dosed that one uh, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every four to six weeks with a dose from 0 0.5 to 1 ml. And um, it's very expensive. Anybody who's selling it for cheap is not giving you the real deal. It's a it's DRI means it's a you're only taking half of the mirror image of the of the molecule. So it has, it takes a lot of uh, work to get the mirror image perfect. So that's not one you want to skimp on and find a cheap version of. Um, it, right. it, it, yeah, there is no cheap version of it. Um, but it, you know, again, it is experimental, not FDA approved, but I have, you know, personally used it and had great success with it. I had severe case of long COVID with POTS syndrome and mast cell activation and, and pretty and very severe memory loss, which has all been rectified and mostly reversed with, with these senolytic treatments, especially because COVID acts to increase the senescent cells. And that's why it attacks the elderly and those with dementia and those who are obese because they have more senescent cells. So it actually attacks the senescent cells, increases the number of them and increases the release of those cytokines and what's called SASPs, which are cytokines and other inflammatory chemicals. Um, yeah, so in my long COVID program, um, I, I, the, the treating with senescence is, is a big part of that. Um, there are also herbal formulas, which are just now, which I'm using more and more now, um, and that th they mainly have in them quercetin and fisetin, um, and there are a few other uh, as well. Fisetin, you know, can come from several sources. The one I always remember is wild strawberries, but you have to have like, you know, pounds of it to get there. Yeah. And quercetin comes from- strawberries all day. Exactly. You would just you need strawberries all day, yeah, to get the amount you need. Yeah. Exactly. So when I use the when I use the herbal formulas, I do typically prescribe those more frequently, um, maybe like twice a week or so. Um, but again, not forever for any of these, because again, and you don't use them when you're young and healthy necessarily, because again, you don't want, I mean, the, these are natural, you know, mTOR and senescent cells are naturally present and naturally serving certain functions. So you don't want to modulate them unless you really know what you're doing. Um, or at least have a, a good idea of why you're doing it and monitoring it and knowing when to start and stop, et cetera. Um, one interesting thing with these senolytics is they're very similar to actually treating an infection in my experience and meaning that 
they they produce similar to Herxheimer reaction and die-off reaction, especially the first few rounds. So it's very common you feel worse when you take these at the beginning. Um, and I always, there's a study of senescent cells that that is really interesting too to back this up. That the, the diseases are almost like an infection. So they they took they're in a mouse study. They took uh, old mice with I forget some chronic disease like arthritis or diabetes, et cetera. And they pulled out senescent cells from those mice and put them in young, healthy mice. And the young, healthy mice within two weeks had the same diseases as the elderly mice did. So it's really interesting that it is really almost like an infection. And when you treat it like that and, and target these with these senolytics, you get a die off just like an infection and then typically start getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because we've seen I have seen lots of acceleration of diseases with with COVID and with COVID, you know, jab. So and and that's this accumulation of senescent cells, you know, along with that that spike protein. It's it's kind of crazy. And interestingly, you said, you know, this is helping clearing the senescent cells help so much with this long haul. And then, um, you know, it's also been studied and recommended that fasting is really helpful for long haul. And that's that's also helping clearing that. So if a lot of people are out there listening, they're like, oh, my gosh, all this sounds so expensive. Then what could they do? They could fast. You know, that's free. That's the nice thing. So tell us how fasting accomplishes this. Well, not only free, but you're not having to pay for food or, you know, you get a couple extra hours in the day too, not having to find the food and eat it. Right. Um, right. Good- it, yeah, it is fasting days like when I do a longer fast. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't have to think about food. That's crazy. <laughs> right. So I, I am no expert in fasting. I've done a lot of it myself in, in the past. Um, it's a harder one to, to, a lot of patients don't have the time for it, unfortunately. Um, but again, you know, uh, what fa- fasting is doing, you know, the same thing that, M- that the rapamycin is doing is just stimulating aut- autophagy, which or mitophagy in mitochondria, which is what you were referring to earlier, meaning that cellular cleanup, taking the trash out. So when that mTOR is overactivated, cells hit that in-stage senescence. And what that means is they can no longer repair themselves. So our cells are constantly cleaning and repairing themselves. And when they can't do that, that's when disease comes. So fasting takes a lot of energetic load away from the digestion process and allows us to focus that energy on cleaning the house instead. Yes. And that is all very important. So after we clear out these senescent cells, then you like to stimulate and encourage the mitochondria to kind of get back into it and get repaired. So what are your favorite things for, for that? Uh, yeah, a lot. And, and also, you know, I'll use this the senolytics also before things like stem cell treatments and exosome treatments and things like that. But also because these senolytics will turn those uh, stem cells into in senescent cells as well. So you get these expensive stem cell treatments. You got pain, inflammation, senescent cells. Guess what? You just you can actually just create more senescent cells. So I think it's wise. I don't have any studies to prove this or data to prove this. Just my own intuition that this makes sense. Um, yeah. So after we clear some of the, mito- the, the the senescent cells and encourage that mitophagy where the mitochondria are cleaning themselves, so we're sort of like pruning the weeds out of the garden before we fertilize it. 
Um, so then I fertilize it with all kinds of things. So, you know, from starting with the, the free things, exercise, like high intensity interval training, that'll get your mitochondria going. Uh, red light therapy. There's a lot of uh, good red lights, many different brands. And, uh, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of those a day work really well for increasing mitochondria. I use technology like pulse electromagnetic frequencies as well. Um, that's helped me personally a lot with, with aches and pains and herniated discs, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, on the peptide, uh, front and there, you know, got a lot of mitochondrial peptides from SS31 to MOTC. One of my favorites of in the last six months or so is a one amino five MQ, which is, which again, is an oral, uh, oral treatment. It, it's not, it, it's, it's relatively expensive as well. But you don't, you know, I have patients, I put them on six week courses of it, eight week courses of it, then give them some breaks. So it's not something you have to take continuously. Um, but I find that works really good for increasing muscle mass and helping burn fat and, and get mitochondria going as well. And of course, I use, you know, a lot of different peptides and bioregulators as well to do this. What What are some of your favorites, Jen? Did I, did I miss any there? Yes. So I love 5-amino-1-MQ. I, I use that a lot. I, I personally, I have it in my work bag. If I'm feeling a little sluggish during the day, I'll take it, give my mitochondria a little energy. I use it when I travel. It always comes with me when I travel for jet lag. Um, you know, everyone, like I've, I had to go to the, you're near you. I had to go to um, the West coast and just the jet lag, it's no joke. So that really helps a lot. And yes, I'll use it for patients that, you know, I just don't want them on semi-glutide or I want to get them more optimized before semi-glutide. Um, I'm really picky about candidates for that, for that peptide. And I'll give them five amino one MQ helps with energy. Yes. That lipolysis and, and it's the mitochondria. We have mitochondria in all of our cells and it has gotten trashed with this pandemic and our mitochondria gets trashed with you know, bad food, inflammation, you know, just the uh, American lifestyle, I guess. So I love 5-amino-1-MQ. I think it's a great one. Um, MOTC I use occasionally. Um, my cat was running around, our, our stray cat, we named MOTC. I named her that. It's such a cool peptide. So <clears throat> for the mitochondria, and it's used a lot with, with kidney. That's where I tend to use it more with patients with early kidney um, issues because it, 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 it helps the mitochondria in the kidneys. So when we think about kidney disease, you know, um, one of the docs I had on the podcast before Dr. Robin Rose, she, she believes, you know, it's all, it's the mitochondria in the kidney. That's why it's a mess. So, you know, I think that that is the problem with conventional medicine is, I mean, I don't think I've ever gone to a conventional doctor, you know, with all my thyroid issues and everything. I don't think anyone's brought up the word mitochondria to me. I think that that kind of got skipped, right? After like sixth grade, you make that little powerhouse of the cell with the little lines, and then we forget about it, right? So, um, okay, SS37, SS31, sorry. I've used that in some chronic Lyme patients. Um, chronic infections. I haven't just used it for mitochondria. So I'm curious on what you've seen. Yeah, I haven't seen amazing results with it either, honestly. Okay. Um, I see 
I've seen much better results with MOTC and one amino 5MQ without the need for injection. And the SS31 is, is a lot more expensive, you know, to have a, a round of that than the one amino 5MQ. So yeah, that, that's been what I've uh, leaned to more in the past six to 12 months or so. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And and also mitochondria um, just supplements too can support, you know, we do need to just do basic supplement support. Um, you you had suggested free form amino acids. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you use those and what they are? Yeah, um, well, there's different amino acid blends. I think a lot of the original research on that was from Dr. Richard Lord at what's now uh, Genova Labs. I forget what it was before then. Um, but yeah, he he's worked a lot, and I'm good friends with Dan Kalish, who studied a lot with him. Uh, and um, yeah, so free-form amino acids, one of the benefits they do is they they do stimulate TOR. So they really stimulate TOR. So once you've already pruned those mitochondria in the cells and then the autophagy is all done, then you can sort of rev them up with uh, free-form amino acids, which provide a lot of energy and a lot of direct stimulation, uh, probably increasing the mitochondrial quality and quantity. Um, and so I, I find that very useful and it's really easy. There's many different brands out there. Um, they all have somewhat different, uh, uh, um, formulas and they all have a little bit different tastes. Um, but typically you just, you know, two to three servings of those on an empty stomach once a day work really well for stimulating mitochondria and energy production. And yes, of course, I also, you know, you are looking at the Krebs cycle, you got to look at B vitamins, coenzyme Q10, all of those. And I use, I use organic acid testing for most of my patients just to help pick out which of the, which of those vitamins is needed because I'm super sensitive myself as are many of my patients. And if you give me the wrong B vitamin or too much, man, I'm, I, my brain and circuits just go haywire really quickly. So I, I used to guess with those, but I don't like doing that anymore. Yeah, you can definitely get overstimulated. You can move that cogwheel too fast and just it's it's no good. So that 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 can happen to people is they start a B vitamin, they think it's going to help, but they end up being like anxious on it. So that means you need to dial it back a little bit. So yeah, I like taking amino acids just, I, I just take them right after a workout, um, muscle building workout. So, so that's what I do. And it, it's just kind of my routine now, right after I work out, I take these supplements. So, so that, that's a really good way to just support that. Um, now the other thing that you had brought up was HIIT training and that's high, um, interval, high intensity interval training. Now I have a love hate relationship with HIIT training because a lot of my Hashimoto's patients, they are just like burning out their adrenals. They're just the, uh, so, so I barter with them. I said, you know, let's heal your gut. Let's balance your, your thyroid, get your Hashimoto's better. And then you could go back to it. And I like them to do their HIIT workouts. Um, they can do it. I, I prefer the first half of their cycle. And then after, you know, a couple of days after ovulation, I don't want them to do HIIT workouts and crazy, crazy things. Now, men, because you have this 24-hour, you know, cycle of hormones, you guys can do whatever you want. But for women and my really sick autoimmune patients, the HIIT workouts, I, I kind of like I'm not a fan of Orange Theory at all. Do you know Orange Theory? A little bit. Yes, a little bit. I've yeah. Never been, yeah. I've never been there, but it's all about like 
who can get the most splat points. So, so me, if I went into there, I'm super competitive. I would just do like, you know, all the hit workouts and I would be trashed when I came out. No, but, but in all seriousness, I, I tell people with the hit workouts, yes, they're, they're good, but they need to be, it needs to be personalized, like everything. So how specifically do hit workouts, how do they support the mitochondria and would weightlifting do something similar? Good question. Yeah. So I've, I, I've had a lot of those adrenally burned out patients, many of which I used to treat a lot of like professional triathletes and marathon runners and cyclists. And yeah, so for them, like a hit hit was actually a easier on their adrenals than what they were doing before. So it was a compromise. Yeah, it's a compromise to get them in there. One of the one of the reasons I really like HIT is because it's increasing, you know, testosterone and growth hormone production when done well. And yeah, how do I customize it? You know, I when I have people that are burned out adrenally and fatigued, I, I you know, I just ask them, they have to be very honest with themselves. Do you feel when you exercise, do you feel any worse that day or the next day? And if you if you do, you did too much. It's really simple. You know, you have to be in integrity with yourself. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it really is that simple. So I'll tell some people with HIIT training, hey, just like, you know, four cycles of 15 seconds, you know, 15 seconds on, 30 to 60 seconds off. Just do that. Four rounds, take a break and do it again. So you only exercise for like two minutes. Um, but you know, for, for a lot of patients, you know, they, they get a release from exercise and they're sort of addicted to that release. And so, you know, trying to find that compromise where they can have that, that release and also not harming themselves. You know, that's all, that's the, the art of practicing medicine, right? Yes, it definitely is. It, it, I, I have to work out it. It feels good. Um, I need to, or I'm grumpy. I joke, but I'm not really grumpy if I don't work out, but maybe. <laughs> have you, have you seen those like smart bikes? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you only do like a, like kind of like you were saying a two minute workout and it adjusts for you and you get like maximum VO2 max. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those smart bikes? I, I've, I've heard about them, but I have not witnessed them. No, I, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. either. Oh, and I didn't answer your question about the weightlifting. Absolutely. Weightlifting for adrenally burned out patients. That's absolutely the best because you're not you're not using a lot of cortisol to lift weights. So you're not burn, you know, you're not consuming all your cortisol. So absolutely weightlifting will also, of course, stimulate this testosterone and growth hormone production and get the mitochondria going as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so you brought up growth hormone a little bit. So um the next step that you in your kind of thought pattern is optimizing hormones. So talk about what you like to optimize and um, yeah, and we could talk peptides fit in here too. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I've been working with hormones my entire career. You know, I had some early patients come in who, um, uh, who had so many abnormalities. And, and when I was first starting out 20 years ago, there was not many people doing this. So, I mean, everybody had Hashimoto's then. I like every other person that walked in the door had Hashimoto's. I was like, oh my goodness, and nobody's treating it. Um, so I soon became, you know, had to become an expert in, thy in thyroid and other hormones. And I had uh, male patients come in who were like, oh, I'm super depressed and anxious. I don't know why. And we'd look at their testosterone and it's in the toilet and we'd raise it up and they feel better. I'm like, well, this isn't, this is pretty easy, actually. So, 
you know, so I, I've I started treating that, and that's the basis on, on which I treat most of my patients. If the hormones aren't balanced, you know, it's it's going to be harder to get uh, leverage anywhere else in the body. Um, and as far as peptides go, um, yeah, my favorite for growth hormone is uh, um, CJC-1295 with ipamorelin. I've been using ipamorelin mostly with sermorelin since probably 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I wasn't able to get CJC that back in time, but I was using high-dose sermorelin with the ipamorelin, getting very, very good results. And the CJC is working similarly, just a longer acting, so you get even more growth hormone production with that. Um, do get great results with that. It, for those adrenally challenged patients whose cortisol, whose stress tolerance is super low and, you know, get frightened and anxious and traumatized very easily, I find better not to give them growth hormone too quickly. Otherwise, it might lower their cortisol because there's all there, all hormones have interrelationships. As we raise growth hormone, it does put a little more stress on your body. And so you need to be able to raise cortisol a little bit to meet those demands. And if you're not, you will bottom out in cortisol and perhaps have more anxiousness and insomnia, et cetera. But, but on the average, relatively healthy patient that, that I'm treating, uh, most people love CJC with epimorlin because growth hormone leans you out, it helps you burn fat, um, and, and, and any, you know, and it's a very healthy way to burn fat. So when you exercise and you use the CJC epimorlin and burn fat, you're, you're losing all that inflammation that's coming from those fat cells that are driving a lot of the disease processes in our bodies. Yeah, it's great. And, and that's the thing, not a lot of people know how to use it or know a lot about it, like practitioners. And it's, it's one of my favorite and I dose it, you know, five days on two days off, um, just at night. Sometimes for some people that don't like to give themselves a shot three times a day, but you could use it up to three times a day. If you usually it's like morning, and then if you want to use it with a workout, and then it's nighttime. And I've personally used it and love it. I sleep so well when I take it. So I don't have you personally used it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And do, do you use it uh, pre or post workout? Well, that's the thing. I've I've always used it post. Is that yeah. how you? And that's yeah. how I prescribe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Um, yeah, and that's and and that's what I tell people. So I specifically I like to use it in long haulers. Um, some of them that I've seen, they're really sick, and they've lost a lot of muscle mass. So um, in my male patients that need more muscle mass, I don't always just, I don't want to jump to testosterone all the time because a lot of these men they don't keep testosterone testosterone goes to five or DHT, I'm sorry, through the five alpha reductase pathway, it goes to estrogen. So sometimes if they, if they need to build muscle and lean out and remember building muscle will give you more testosterone. So, you know, and I think men like men are like, Oh, testosterone. And I'm like, are you doing squats every day? You know, if I can, if I can squat more than a male, then that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I can like a lot of them. And I'm like, well, you need to work on your, you need to work on your, building your muscle. But then it's kind of like a catch 22, because if you, if you don't have any testosterone, it's going to be harder to build muscle. So that's where this growth hormone um, comes in. And this is not like a legal growth hormone and it's not technically growth hormone. It's, it releases growth hormone. So peptides are chains of amino acids that elicit a response from the body that is a natural mechanism, you know? So I forgot to have us go over that in the beginning, but, but yes, this is not, 
you're not going to be Barry Bonds and like grow helmet sizes. Your hands are not going to grow. Right. I mean, it's some people think about that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the most common side effect I've seen, and I've only seen this in a couple people is like a wrist swelling, like carpal tunnel. So one of the first signs of excessive growth hormone is swelling and symptoms like growth, uh, carpal tunnel. Um, you do, you can get flushing when you inject it and you can get itchiness at the site of injection as well. Um, and yeah, I had a, I have, I've had two patients only that have had to stop because they get that rash injection site so i switched them to oh now i forgot i think just i think just tessamorlin possibly i'd have to double check but i switched them um but what also when we think about growth hormone this is something that is rock you're rocking it with growth hormone in your 20s when you're feeling good and then as we age it goes down so this is kind of a lot of what you know dr camp and i do is just longevity and you know, you're older, you're older, but you feel better than when you were in your twenties. Cause I do, I don't know about you. Do you feel better than now, now that you um, know all these hacks? Absolutely. 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 And if there are times and I feel worse, they're, they're brief, much briefer than in the past. Absolutely. Much more resilient and yeah, recover quickly to everything. Yes. Okay. So you brought up flushing and that came to mind melatonin. Can you talk a little bit about that peptide? Which one? Melatonin. Mel- melanotin? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I say it differently. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it, there was a little yeah, glitch melatonin. recording at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, melanotin. Um, I use that one. I don't use it a lot because of the tanning, you know, the tanning from it. Um, but it is good. I do use it for some patients who, who want to, um, you know, who are going on a tropical holiday in the middle of winter and don't want to get sunburned. Melanotan is really good for that. Melanotan too, and also increases their libido while they're there and it, and it kind of lowers your appetite. So if it wasn't for the tanning from melanotan, it would be a really spectacular peptide. But unfortunately, the tanning can also lead to like sunspots and, and a lot of color discoloration. Um, yeah, people worry about that. Yeah, yeah. So what about targeted weight loss and insulin resistance, um, which insulin resistance is becoming so common? It's bananas. So what, what are your thoughts and approaches to that? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I created a holistic weight loss business in the Bay Area and still directed. So, yeah, I have a lot of experience with that. Um, you know, a baseline, I help, you know, it's first of all, of course, diet. You know, a lot of it may be underlying candida, mold issues, causing insulin resistance. Of course, it's processed foods, et cetera. So a lot of working with diet, of course, but assuming that's okay, um, then then I've been using metformin for many years. And I find for some people that will lower the hemoglobin A1C a couple of points and help them lose a few pounds. I haven't had a lot of people who've like lost all their desired weight just using metformin. Um, but of course, I like to optimize hormones and thyroid. Um, and then when you do that, then it's easier to lose weight with any other treatment that you use, including metformin. Um, I've also used you know berberine and other herbal formulas. Um, with some success, n- nothing great. Um, in the last few years, I have, of course, used more uh, semaglutide as well. Um, 
And I've even, you know, some patients who just have like uh, insulin resistance and not necessarily a lot of weight gain, we can use a really low dose semaglutide just to bring the hemoglobin A1C down. I've seen pretty good success with that. So um, a lot of my patients are sensitive to semaglutide and the high dose just causes too many problems for them. So a lot of them, I typically use low dosing for the semaglutide as well as, uh, you know, a lot of the other treatments that I use. So I find it's often beneficial to treat in most everything I'm treating. I find it beneficial to try to target whatever I'm doing from several angles um, you know, so rather than one treatment, a really high dose where you're more likely to get side effects, a little, a little of this and a little of that, uh, seems to go a lot further with a lot less side effects. Um, in my weight loss clinic, we, we also use MYC injections with B12. Um, that's methionine and inositol choline injections. You know, I, I just use those because, you know, I felt, you know, I was like, well, let's see, it'll at least give people energy. Um, and then I did analysis on patients and there were, there were, we had enough data where like I studied people over months and like people that weren't on anything else, just diet changes and the MIC injections were losing, uh, you know, a few pounds a week. It didn't start yeah. until about four to six weeks in the therapy though. Um, and so it was really interesting. So you got to give it for a while before it really kicks in. Um, and of course, the more frequently you give it, the better. And it is an injection. I haven't tried any of the oral forms of it, but I found that to work very well. So you know, diet changes, hit exercise, metformin, semaglutide, berberine. Um, I follow hemoglobin A1C in all my patients. And, you know, that's that's one of those big, you know, it's like C-reactive protein. You know, if, if those are elevated, your risk of all diseases is elevated, including cancer, heart disease, every, everything. So as a longevity uh, doctor, I want to keep all of those as low as possible. Yeah, I um, I check a lot of home IR scores, so the fasting insulin. Yes. That, that's kind of my favorite because then I'm like, oh, oh, you're fasting insulin, you know, it's above five or it's 10 and we got to get that down. And and I utilize a lot of continuous glucose monitors in my office. I don't know if you use those a lot. And that feedback, I actually, I have one on now. Um, it expires today. I share my own data with you know, my social media, my patients, because I, I can make mistakes and I like to test things out and it's, it's really fun. So I think that that's also really important. Now let's go back to semi-glutide because it's such a hot topic right now. So it, I mean, we've been using it in our practices. We've known about it kind of longer than it got like super trendy. And so people are always like, what do you think? Cause I'm more integrative, you know, more holistic. And I'm like, well, the people that are just getting it from any shop or they're just going online and ordering it, you know, which is, I think inappropriate, these doctors that are just turning it out just for money that they, when they get off of it, they're going to gain the weight back. And it's interesting. One of my friends, her mother lives in Florida and they were told that they were going to be on it the rest of their life. It's really weird too, because they have to come into the clinic to get their shot where usually you should just get it mailed from a compounding pharmacy to your home. It's your vial. Your doctor shows you how to use it. So very strange. So for me, like any peptide, this should be something that you're on for a little bit and then you're off of it for a while, you know, and you should be cycling it. And this is the same with adaptogens and probiotics. So for me, semi-glutide is one of those where I've had patients come in specifically ask for it. I'm like, you know what? Let's work on your gut health, balance your hormones, and then we'll get you on the semi-glutide for a few months. 
see how you do, lose the 10 pounds, and you're not going to gain it all back. And sometimes I transition them off semi-glutide and I do the five amino one MQ. So then they're um, cutting their cravings. Because I had one patient, she looked amazing. Um, she lost so much weight. She got a little bit of that face problem. <laughs> she looked so thin, but we did some microneedling. She's good. And she was so nervous about the holidays that she was just going to go back into like kind of eating and just, you know, she was nervous about it because semi-glutide kind of breaks that food chatter constant that you have and um, really remodels relationships with food, which I think that's a positive. But um, I put her on the the five amino one MQ and she actually, she did really well throughout the holidays and she's maintaining her weight and building muscle now. So that's another non-negotiable I have for semi-glutide. They have to promise me they'll eat protein, prioritize protein. And they have to promise me that, you know, we don't like pinky promise, but I'm like, come on, this is for your health. They have to promise that they'll lift weights. So like yeah, how do you handle semi-glutide? Cause I'm kind of curious cause I'm very like, I about like it. and my patients appreciate it, but I'm like, they could just go get it from someone else down the street. But I think they they know that I'm not doing this just to do it. I'm doing it for their health. Absolutely. Yeah, I think of it like a crutch, right? You know, you want to use it for the intended effect while you're also getting therapy. Like you go to physical therapy after you while you're using the crutch, you know, you get better. So, you know, in this analogy, we're the therapist and we're helping heal whatever caused the weight gain in the first place. And, and and I'm adamant on that with all my patients around all the things I treat. You know, you got to work on the why do you have it and why is this coming up and, you know, why is it so hard to treat? You know, what's the underlying factors? Is it emotionally, stress, familial, et cetera? What are those that we can treat, you know? And everybody's different and more people, you know, everyone has different inclinations and abilities to treat or to go go within themselves and have different parts of themselves healed. Um but usually, you know, with enough options, we can find something that works for everybody, um, you know, and absolutely. I, I like that, you know, you got to go build muscle. And that's critical for the listeners out there. When you're taking semaglutide, the biggest thing I see is people getting low blood sugar because they're not eating enough protein or enough period. And they'll get dizzy. They'll get lightheaded. They'll pass out even just because they're forgetting to eat sometimes. And you got to remember your brain needs glucose. I mean, you can survive off ketones, but it takes a few days to get ketones going. And in the meantime, if your blood sugar is dropping, you're starving your brain and starving your brain is not good for, for anything, you know, you know, for any of us. Especially if you're jumping into it and you're not metabolically flexible yet. So, and, and that's why I have a lot of patients wear continuous glucose monitors and they find out more and more their anxiety is linked to their blood sugar, you know, roller coaster and, and how they're feeling. So I, oh my goodness, I think everyone should be on a continuous glucose monitor, at least for like one month in their life. Right. Yeah. I love so. that. Which, which brand do you, do you, do you find certain brands are more useful um, for the CGMs? I just usually do the Libre too. It gets pretty good coverage. I can see what they're doing. Um, they sign up and then I can see their graphs. It's interesting though, because mine is always um, like 10 to 20 points higher um, than my finger stick, which is going to be more accurate. So it's, I don't really use mine to see my number. You know, I do it to see like, am I flat? Am I spiking? And you know, people will see you will get spikes from exercise, from sauna. Um, the, only, the cold plunging drops my glucose. It's kind of cool to see on my monitor. Oh, so. interesting. Well, 
Well, because I'm shivering so much. <laughs> and that brown adipose tissue. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. But I, I geek out on that. Oh, one other peptide I want to discuss. Um, uh, what probably top pep? Let's just talk. What are what are your two top peptides or top one? I don't know. One of, I guess top two. CJC. It's one of my favorite from Orland. And then um, BPC one fifty seven. Do you utilize that a lot in your office? Yeah, I do. I use and I usually use that with like a, a thymosin a beta extract or K and or KPV. Um, mm, you know, especially if you're treating GI issues, BPC with KPV can be very uh, useful because KPV is a it's a it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. It's very useful for mold and candida related inflammation as well. You have to be careful. Too much KPV can stimulate mast cell activation, and I, I personally overdid it when I had long COVID and got some mast cell activation. So I learned that on myself. But I was taking. How, like a, what are you talking about? Too much K. How much KVP? Yeah, I was taking it orally and in a nasal spray and injection. Gotcha. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. Yeah, I just five hundred. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's what's cool. These peptides can you can take them orally. Um, yeah, nasal spray. You said, then you're gonna possibly cross the blood-brain barrier is what we hope for. Um, and then, yeah, injection. So I BPC one fifty seven. I if there's an injury in my household of six, you know, we we keep that in the fridge. So it's it's a great. Well, it's crazy though. No, the injectable. Okay, okay. I have oral BPC too, but yes, for GI stuff. But what's crazy is, so BPC-157, it's banned in the NFL and all of these places. And it's interesting because it's like, well, how, how would they test? How would they know? We make BPC-157 from the parietal cells in our gut. So I just, it, it makes me mad because um, it would help athletes recover and actually heal but instead they give them steroid shots, which destroys their ligaments. And I cringe, all patients come into the office and they're like, oh, since I saw you last, I had this like knee or elbow thing or shoulder thing, you know, and they're like, they gave me a steroid injection. I'm like, do not do that ever again. You have an injury, you call my office and we will inject BPC-157 because steroids, it's a quick fix for inflammation, but it's ruining, ruining your joints. That's my pet peeve. Absolutely. Yeah, I was trained in uh, prolotherapy and PRP. And yeah, so I've never been a fan of maybe one steroid shot for some people with certain conditions. If that solves it, great. You know, some elbow conditions are like that, but otherwise never. Um, so I, I agree with you. Can I ask you what, what does the BPC when you're, you're <clears throat> injecting for musculoskeletal issues? Oh, gosh. I'd have to look because I just, mine's always the same. So I use 25 units. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we're using the pharmacy. So I, I know what you're using. You know? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So 25 units. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I'll do them in like trigger points around there. Um, yeah. PRP, that's another good, good thing to talk about for joints and also cosmetically. And this is something that it's frustrating because orthopedic surgeons won't just won't mention it. I had a patient that had to get ACL surgery and, and luckily I saw her that same week and cause she didn't think, I don't think that I could have like 
given her input, but I said to her, I said, are you getting PRP injections since you're going under? I know specifically the surgeon, because I had to get PRP for my torn meniscus and I was like interviewing different people in the area. And he said he would only get insurance coverage if it was during a scope or a surgery for that. So I told her, I'm like, ask them if they can add that on to you and that will help your healing and regeneration and everything. And she did, and she was so happy and they did it. But why is this not standard of care? It's kind of bizarre because there's actually a lot of research out there on, on this with joints. Yeah, good question. Yeah, I, I have no idea other than, you know, just status quo and people making a lot of money at the top, you know, not wanting to change. In the Bay Area where everything you know, where I, I learned and trained until recently, you know, it's super cutting edge there. So all the orthopedists now do PRP. They all offer it because otherwise they'd be out of business now because all the other doctors are doing it. So they had to go to it. And, you know, hopefully this doesn't offend too many orthopedists out there. But, you know, if you want to get PRP, don't go see an orthopedist unless they've had good training. And most of them are you know, the ones I've met are super cocky. Oh, yeah, I know how to, I can do that. You know, they watch a five-minute video and they think they know how to do an injection. Well, it's 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 different cutting somebody open in the operating room versus knowing how and where to stick a needle in someone's joint. It's very different. I've been trained by you know, the Hackett Hemwall Foundation for Prolotherapy and those guys. They, they did it before ultrasound or any x-rays. I mean, we're sticking, you know, three, four-inch needles in people, and you better know what you're doing when you're doing that. Otherwise, you're, risk, you know, high risk there. Um, so that's my advice to your listeners out there. Find somebody who's well-trained in prolotherapy, PRP, et cetera. Usually the musculoskeletal docs, the uh, osteopaths, or the uh, physiatrists are usually the best at that, in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Are you doing any BPC-157 and interarticularly? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I have um, I have friends who run, you know, stem cell clinics and PRP clinics. And I don't do these injections anymore because my clinics virtually. And also they're so good at it. And they have the ultrasound and all the devices. And I'm like, I just tell my patients, go see them. And, you know, sometimes we'll give the docs a vial too and say, hey, can you put this in the PRP? And, and they'll usually do it as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Nice. I was just going to say, I'm going to fly to Arizona to have you do some more PRP in my knee for me. I don't think I need it now. BPC-157 is keeping me good, but, um, but, yeah, but, got, but yeah, I mean, I've got a great osteo, sorry to interrupt. I've got a great osteopath friend here now who's, who does great injections too. Yes. If you ever want to come out, good. we'll hook you up. That's for good sure. to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is stuff like what didn't pain Manning, he, you know, he went into the stem cell route. Um, so this is stuff like, so I'm in Northwest Ohio, which is just like, you know, opposite of the Bay shore, the Bay, you know, I mean, so this is where, you know, patients around here, clients, they need to kind of advocate for themselves and ask questions and ask for things. And that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast is so people can know what's out there, right? I'm sure a lot of listeners haven't heard of these peptides. They're probably like, what are those letters? And you just have to find someone that's well, you know, well-versed in it. It it sounded like alphabet soup when we started to, right? <laughs> I mean, so, so <laughs> yes, yeah, some of it, we have this awesome peptide group on Facebook and it's so good. It just really makes makes me learn um makes me read more and find out the newest best things so so patients can can get better and their body can heal themselves because that's what it's about 
So, so Dr. Morgan Camp, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I knew this would be a great conversation and I'm sure a lot of people will want to listen to this in normal speed and not 2X because there's a lot of nuggets in here. Can you tell everyone how and if they can work with you, um, where to find you? I'm going to link your website. Just if you hang out on social media where they can connect with you, all the things. Good question, Jen. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This has been fantastic. I learned a lot and it's always good just to find find like-minded people to talk with. You know, it's just, just fun. It inspires me. Um, yeah, my website is uh, very easy. It's drmorgancamp.com, drmorgancamp.com. And uh, yeah, if you're interested, uh, there's a welcome call button there. So you can, you can book a welcome call with my staff and tell you about my practice. I, I do offer... Uh, you know, consultations and um, non-physician appointments, meaning I'm counseling you, counseling people for things like second opinions or, oh, you know, maybe this is a better way to look at your illness and maybe this is how you can find a better doctor than the one you're working with now or, you know, that sort of thing. So I do offer that, Um, you know, I have several programs as well. So yeah, if you're interested, go to my website, take a look and, and thanks again, Jen. Yes, that's awesome. I will link everything below. And thanks, everyone. Give us feedback. Leave in the comments what you thought. And maybe we could have Dr. Camp back on and we could dive deeper into into the peptides and stuff if if you guys want to nerd out more. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Love to come back. So thank you. This podcast was created and hosted by Jen Flegar and is for informational purposes only. It is not medical advice. This podcast is responsibility for adverse effects from use of information contained in this podcast. This podcast does not promote opinions of their guests of their own and does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests of the show or endorse any qualifications for the guests of this podcast. Guests may have financial disclosures. If you think you have a medical problems, consult your personal physician or team. Thank you for joining.